A series of tragedies prompted one Chicago suburb to change the way trains travel through their city. This is the story of connecting Winnetka to Chicago. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. As this episode does include stories of death, listener discretion is advised. This story was originally prepared in a longer version for the patrons of the Winnetka Public Library last fall, and I thought all that wonderful research might be appreciated by those who did not attend the original presentation. As a kid, I remember sitting in the backseat of the family car with my mom driving. Usually I was head down reading a comic book, but would be aware of two long stops, to which I'd say, what's going on? My mom would then say, we're stopped for a train, and it's a freight train, so it could be a while. I wish I had a machine to tell me how many minutes or hours of my life was spent waiting for a train to pass. Don't get me wrong. I understand the importance of trains and their role in the development of the United States. I'm also keenly aware of how many collisions happen at train crossings and how many lives have been lost during those accidents. For those of you not familiar with Winnetka, it is roughly 22 miles north of Chicago and sits comfortably along the North Shore. While Winnetka has three train stops, Hubbard Woods, Winnetka, and Indian Hill, for most of this story I'll just say Winnetka unless I need to be specific. One of the earliest newspaper articles I found about the train line that would eventually connect Winnetka to Chicago is one from the Mineral Point Tribune in Wisconsin from March 9th, 1854. Then known as the Chicago and Milwaukee Railroad, it reads, Messrs. Stone and Witt of Cleveland have contracted to build the Chicago and Milwaukee Railroad from Chicago to the state line. The whole line, 90 miles, is now under contract to be completed in 1854. The thing that is most surprising is that although they hadn't started building yet, and I'm sure much of the ground was still frozen, they seemed confident they'd be done by the end of the year. 90 miles of train tracks in fewer than nine months. There is work being done not far from me to replace lead pipes that I swear has been going on for four years. And that's just on one block. Three months later, a June 14, 1854 newspaper piece updated the progress of the building of the train route. It read, the first 16 miles north of the city are already graded and the ties are all on the ground. 10 miles north of Waukegan are also graded and in Wisconsin, it is all in a state of forwardness and will be completed as fast as the iron and superstructure are ready. It goes on to read, the cities north of us will also congratulate themselves that they will no longer be shut out from the rest of mankind by the frosts of winter. I do like the notion that by not being connected to Chicago, the world north of the city was shut out from the rest of mankind. From the Union Pacific website, in 1854, an anticipation of the Chicago and Milwaukee Railroad coming through the area for the first time, Charles Peck and Walter S. Gurney, president of the railroad, created the original subdivision that would become Winnetka. Some would suggest the new village might be called Pecktown or Pecton, much like the area to the south was named Evanston 
after one of the town's leaders, John Evans. Charles Peck's wife, Sarah, reportedly said they would call the new village Winnetka, claiming it was based on a Native American phrase meaning beautiful land that she had read in a book, although this source has never been found. Walter S. Gurney, by the way, served as the 11th mayor of Chicago for a surprising two consecutive terms from 1851 to 1853, when mayoral terms only lasted one year. The first railroad depot was built in 1854 and was located on the east side of the tracks, roughly 100 feet north of Elm Street, and was described as a crude, shed-like frame building, 18 by 40 feet, with another 10 feet attached as space for an office, and also housed the village hall. The Winneka Depot burned in 1871, the same year as the Great Chicago Fire, consuming the building and taking with it much of the town's records. It was replaced with another more substantial building in 1873, located on the west side of the tracks and north of Elm Street. In 1839, at the time of the Grade Separation Project, and I'll get to that in a minute, another new Winneka Depot was built on the west side of the tracks and south of Elm Street. In 1883, after some consolidation, the Chicago and Milwaukee Railroad became the Chicago and Northwestern Railway Company. Two years later, in 1895, a third Winnetka Depot was built, this time made of brick, back on the east side of the tracks, but still not south of Elm Street. Although an impressive structure, it would eventually be raised to make way for the below-grade tracks. Quick aside to discuss population growth in Winnetka. In 1880, Winnetka had a population of 584. Ten years later, that number jumped to 1,079. By 1900, the number of residents had grown to 1,833, 3,168 in 1910, and then a 111% jump in the number of Winnetka townsfolk to 6,694 by 1920. While someone named Jim Pugh was the first automobile owner in Winnetka in 1896, cars didn't become widely used in town until many years later. Between the wonky, unfamiliar controls of an automobile and the less-than-efficient gates and safety controls at crossings, accidents were inevitable. Autos, increased pedestrian traffic, and the excitement surrounding those newfangled contraptions called bicycles in the late 1800s and early 1900s made roads all over towns in the Chicago area congested. The construction of the train line to the north was completed in late 1854, early 1855. There is some debate as to the exact date the trains began carrying passengers, but based on everything I've read, it was within a few weeks of either side of the end of 1854. In addition to moving people and freight, mail was also transported on that line. An early time card for the new railroad reads that starting after January 4, 1855, passenger trains would leave the Chicago station at 8.30 a.m., arriving in Waukegan at 10.30 a.m., with the return train leaving Waukegan at 3.30 p.m., arriving in Chicago at 5.30 p.m. Passengers traveling onto Wisconsin would board another train in Waukegan, and that train would travel through Kenosha and Racine before arriving in Milwaukee. Between Chicago and Waukegan, the train would pass through the newly laid-out towns of Chittenden, 
Evanston, Winnetka, and Fort Clinton. And the fare to Milwaukee would be $4. Now, if you're hearing this and thinking, where was Chittenden and what is Fort Clinton? You and I will get along great. Chittenden was an undeveloped area outside Chicago city limits in the 1800s, which in 1857 was sold off and is now primarily where Rose Hill Cemetery is. The newly laid out town of Fort Clinton was so new it was misspelled here. It should have read Port Clinton, which was later absorbed into Highland Park. The really crazy thing, the $4 trip from Chicago to Milwaukee in 1855 is equal to roughly $145 in today's money. I cannot imagine those trains were very full. Now you can go from Chicago's Union Station to downtown Milwaukee for right around 25 bucks, although not on the Winnetka train line. By the late 1800s, there were already those pushing for change so that cars and trains did not cross at the same level. Henry D. Lloyd, who led the Winnetka Town Meeting, wrote in 1896, Now we want all the streets that cross the tracks depressed at the joint expense of the town and the railroad, and we expect to get it. Lloyd was pushing for the train tracks to be elevated and travel over the streets. Of course, everyone listened to Lloyd and immediately made the necessary changes. Oh, wait, no, they they didn't. They added an entirely new train line and sets of tracks pretty close to the existing train tracks. The Chicago North Shore and Milwaukee Electric Interurban started service in 1902, running through Netka and the North Shore, giving commuters another way to quickly and easily get around. According to the book The Story of Winnetka by Laura Townsend Dickinson, first published in 1956, there were even jingles about the excitement of commuting. I won't sing it, but here's how this one went. I'd like to be a commuter, and with the commuter's stand, or sit, I hope, as I ride the rails, a newspaper in my hand. Sadly, accidents were frequent along the train line owing to the two train companies and all of the crazy gates. Just a few years later, in 1903, prominent Winnetkin William A. Otis urged the town to consider depressing the train tracks to limit accidents and even traveled to other parts of the country at his own expense to study train track placement. In 1906, Winnetka engineer Frank Windus proposed a depressed grading for track separation and even sketched an amazing drawing I'll put up on social media that looks remarkably like the area today. I don't get to spend nearly enough time talking about Frank Windus in this, but he was a teacher in Winnetka, the village engineer from 1898 to 1930, and then in 1941 was part of the incorporation of the Winnetka Historical Society and was a custodian of that group for as long as he lived. Dr. Samuel Harkness said of Windus, quote, He loved every inch of Winnetka as we love every room in our homes. Almost forgot the original name for the Hubbard Woods Station was Lakeside. That was changed by the Chicago and Northwestern Railway in 1907. 1919 brought some horrible tragedies to Winnetka starting on January 8th of that year when a 12-year-old girl named Dorothy Snow was killed at the Pine Street Crossing. While Dorothy's death received little notice in papers, another devastating accident that fall would bring far greater attention 
to the hazards of the train system in Winnetka. On Monday, September 11, 1919, 39-year-old William Tanner and his wife Mary, 38, were out on a date. Their daughter, Helen, just five and a half, and their three-and-a-half-year-old twin sons, William and Lyman, were being watched by their paternal grandmother, who lived with the family at 916 Linden Avenue. The couple headed east from their home, planning to take the North Shore electric train at the Gage Street stop south to see a movie at the Wilmette Theater. At the crossing, the flagman signaled for automobile traffic to stop, but the couple thought they could get to the other side of the tracks with time to spare. With the Chicago and Northwestern train moving south on the tracks toward them, Mrs. Tanner abruptly stopped. Her husband turned to ask her what was wrong. She replied, My foot's caught. Mary Tanner's foot had gotten wedged in a gap between one of the rails and a board. William Tanner ran to his wife, pulling hard on her leg to free her foot, but it would not budge. The pain, coupled with panic, caused Mrs. Tanner to faint. William Tanner called out to the nearby flagman, John Miller, to help. Miller, lantern in hand, ran to the couple. The two men tried with all their might to free the stuck foot. As the vibrations of the oncoming train and the light from the engine got closer, Mrs. Tanner regained consciousness, pleading with her husband to leave her and save himself. Moments before the train reached them, William Tanner wrapped his arms around his wife as the massive machine, unable to stop, collided with the couple and the flagman. Mr. and Mrs. Tanner were killed by the impact, and the flagman, John Miller, was propelled 40 feet into a nearby shack. The impact broke one of Miller's arms and both his legs. In a cruel twist of fate, it would later be revealed that William Tanner, who had worked for the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad for 10 years, had lost his father when he was five years old to a train accident. Charity events were held to help support the three orphan children who went to live with an aunt in Albany, New York, and for the flagman, John Miller, whose leg was so badly broken it needed to be amputated. Surely, an accident like this would spur the town into making the necessary changes, right? Renowned architect Edward H. Bennett, whose works include the Michigan Avenue Bridge, the Buckingham Fountain, and who worked with Daniel Burnham on the plan of Chicago in 1909, offered his expertise on the plan of Winnetka in 1921. A large portion of the Winnetka plan dealt with the issue of the numerous tracks that ran through the city and the danger they continued to pose. The plan of Winnetka includes the following. The elimination of grade crossings is Winnetka's most serious and urgent problem. In the last 11 years, 44 persons have been killed or seriously injured at railway crossings within the corporate limits. Every crossing has had its tragedy, and this menace to life increases daily with added trains and growth of population. The Reports Commission went on to insist the only proper solution for both the steam train line and the electric line is a depressed separation, and used examples in areas in the east, like the Boston and Albany Railroad, and one near Newton, Mass. As for an elevated train, 
While it would be less expensive to implement, having a two-mile-long railway embankment would cut the village into two parts and would create eight new underpasses, each with their own chance for accidents. At the time, there was already one at Willow Street described as a death trap. This would later be removed. There was also a dusting of shade thrown toward Chicago in the plan of Winnetka for having trains that run above ground, including a picture with a caption that reads, This picture, taken in Rogers Park, Illinois, shows the result of track elevation. In Winnetka, an embankment like this would run two miles through the heart of the village. Such disfigurement can be avoided by track depression. Later in the plan for Winnetka, it is proposed that the dirt removed from the track depression could be transported to Winnetka's lakeshore for use in developing lakefront property. Of course, all these changes would require money and time, but while community leaders pondered Bennett's 1921 plan of Winnetka, accidents in town continued. In early February of 1923, fewer than four years after the collision that claimed the lives of William and Mary Tanner, Grace Fentress, wife of James Fentress, millionaire president of the Chicago Tubing and Braiding Company, was driving home alone after ice skating at the Indian Hill Country Club. It was snowing hard and visibility was limited. As she headed east on North Avenue, she reached the train tracks. As Grace Ventress began to cross, she was unaware of the speeding train headed south. The gates were closed to the east in front of her. She had no time to back up and, in a panic, did not think to drive through the lowered gates blocking her path. The train collided with the driver's side door of the car in which Mrs. Ventress was driving, sending mangled pieces of the auto along the right-of-way for an entire block. Ventress's body was carried down the track more than 100 yards, and was not found until 20 minutes after the impact. She left behind her husband and four children. This was yet another accident that may have been prevented, but it wasn't until more than 14 years later that a tragedy on the tracks caused the residents of Winnetka to finally say, enough is enough. October 30th, 1937, after leaving a Halloween party at the Winnetka Community House, where they helped entertain 2,000 local children, 30-year-old Janet Getgood, who had gotten married a year earlier and was eight months pregnant, and Sybil Britton, a 40-year-old mother of two, had just dropped off a friend at her home. As Britton's car approached the crossing at Pine Street at 10.38 p.m., the gates were up. As the car traversed the tracks, a train with six empty cars, traveling in reverse with no lights on to alert those in the area, collided with the car's passenger side straight on, pushing it 500 feet down the tracks. Both women were killed. The gate operator claimed he had lowered the gates in time, but eyewitnesses told authorities the gates were not lowered until after the crash. A coroner's jury was convened after the incident, returning a verdict of accident in the deaths of the two women, while the two Northwestern Railway crossing watchmen were censured for lack of care, they were found not criminally responsible for the accident. 
This decision notwithstanding, there was renewed interest by the townsfolk of Winnetka for the elevation of the northwestern and north shore line tracks, especially in light of newspapers reporting that 70 persons had been killed by trains in the area in the preceding 22 years. Instead of elevating the tracks, the town instead decided to head in the other direction, much like William Otis suggested in 1903, Frank Windus recommended in 1908, and Edward H. Bennett repeated in his 1921 plan of Winnetka. Of course, this would require funding. Enter Harold L. Ickes. Harold LeClaire Ickes was born in Pennsylvania and moved to Chicago at the age of 16 after the death of his mother. Growing up on the South Side, he attended Englewood High School, then graduated to the University of Chicago. He worked as a newspaper reporter for some time, then was drawn back to higher education, attending the University of Chicago Law School, where he got his law degree, although he rarely practiced law. Fun fact, Ickes was the father of Harold M. Ickes, President Clinton's White House Deputy Chief of Staff. Ickes and his wife Anna lived in Winneka for 17 years at 900 Private Road until his friend Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought him to Washington, D.C. to serve as Secretary of the Interior, a position he kept for 13 years. Fortunately for Winnetkins, during his time in Washington, Ickes would head the PWA. If you are not familiar with the Public Works Administration, a.k.a. the PWA, it was part of the New Deal of 1933, a large-scale public works construction agency in the United States. It was created by the National Industrial Recovery Act in June of 1933 in response to the Great Depression. During a six-year period, Ickes oversaw the construction of nearly 20,000 projects, ranging from the building of hospitals, bridges, the Key West Highway, the Lincoln Tunnel in New York, and completing the Hoover Dam in Nevada. One of the projects he helped push through was the Track Depression in Winnetka. For the Track Depression project, Harold Ickes said the PWA would contribute 45% of the total cost of the project, estimated at roughly $3.5 million, nearly $79 million in today's value. Winnetka would need to cover 25%, and both the Chicago Northwestern and the North Shore Line train companies would need to cover the remainder, to which they agreed. If you're wondering why the trains agreed to help fund this project, I learned that there was once an incline between Evanston and Winnetka at which trains would often get stuck. An additional engine would then need to be sent from Evanston to push the stranded train up the hill. This went on for decades and must have been A, super frustrating, and B, pretty costly. To keep trains running during construction, temporary tracks were built on the west side of the existing tracks from Glencoe to Kenilworth. The patch of grass from Cherry Street to Indian Hill gives you the best idea of where these temporary tracks once lay. During construction, the bones from two dozen cattle were unearthed near Indian Hill. According to reports, sometime in the late 1800s, the bovine had wandered onto the tracks and the conductor was unable to stop in time. So great was the force of the impact, the train derailed. Boy. 
To accomplish this massive undertaking, 915,000 cubic yards of earth were excavated. Transporting those 915,000 cubic yards of land was no easy task with trucks moving west all throughout the day, generating a lot of noise, dust, and often mud. Work often went late, and one night around 11 p.m., an irate citizen called village president William Moulton, who answered the phone. The voice on the other end said, If I can't sleep, you shall not either. Much of the dirt that was excavated was used as landfill at Crow Island Woods. Two years later, Barrett Conway, vice president of the Chicago and Northwestern Railway, wrote, After many long years of dreaming, planning, negotiating, and longing, great commendation must be given by a grateful citizenry to our much-loved townsman, William B. Moulton, and those who so ably upheld his hands, including Frederick Dickinson, Herbert Wolheiser, and all of the village officers and trustees who served through the trying, work-laden period of negotiating, financing, and construction of the project. Also, we must not forget our former fellow townsman, Harold Ickes, who as head of the Public Works Administration, dispensed from the coffers of Uncle Sam a largesse to the extent of 45% of the cost of the project. With the onset of World War II, steel rations might have derailed, I'll wait for laughter, the efforts to finish the project, but with a special request to the president to release enough steel to finish the work, the village of Winnetka was able to create safer routes for residents to get around the city. The entire project, which eliminated 10 railroad crossings, added seven bridges, three new stations, two pedestrian bridges, and the necessary retaining walls, was completed on June 15, 1943. During the five years of construction, none of the 200, yes 200, trains that passed through town daily were delayed. In 1950, there were 25 million registered automobiles in the United States. By 1958, there were 67 million registered autos. With the addition of the Edens Expressway in 1951, train usage fell off and the North Shore Electric Line, which had survived the Great Depression and two bankruptcies, folded. The Chicago, North Shore, and Milwaukee electric urban tracks were removed in 1955. The path that once followed is now the Green Bay Trail Bicycle Path, a nine-mile route that runs through Kenilworth, Winnetka, Highland Park, and Lake Bluff. Union Pacific acquired CNNW in April of 1995, and the train that travels between Chicago and Winnetka and further north to Kenosha, Wisconsin. The historic Winnetka station was completely renovated by Metra and Union Pacific in 2011. Winnetka remains the only community on the line to have depressed tracks. Winnetka is still home to three train stations along its 3.51 miles of depressed track in a ditch 143 feet wide. As of April 2022, 70 trains, 35 in each direction, pass through Winnetka with 26 total on Saturday and 18 on Sundays and holidays. listening to today's episode about connecting Winnetka to Chicago. 
This episode was researched, written, and recorded by me, Tommy Henry. As always, if you have questions about anything covered today or have a different topic you think might be a good fit for an episode of the Chicago History Podcast, send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. Make sure to check out the Chicago History Podcast Facebook, Instagram, and Threads social media pages for images and news clippings related to this episode. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and much of the art used on the social media pages. If you need creative work done for a project you have, send them an email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. If you would, please take a moment and like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend about it. It helps me get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of Chicago. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe.